0: me invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, if you're using a Pew Bible, it should be on page 812, but last week we began a new message series, the gospel of Mark, waking up to Jesus, and as we looked at the intro to this gospel, really the beginning of this particular gospel, Mark's account of the life and the ministry of of Jesus, we were introduced to this Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Uh, we were uh, instructed to behold Him, come and see this one who is here. Come and see this one who has come. And today, we turn our attention to the message of this one, the message of the Messiah. So, as you find your place in Mark chapter one, let me invite you to join me, standing uh, out of reverence for the one whose word it is that we. Reading Mark chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 14 through 20, and there the scriptures uh, read this way. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And rightly understanding the truths of your word. Father, we want to hear from you. We acknowledge that this is your word. Speak through through me even now, Lord, by the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, upon reading this text, uh, we want to know more. In these seven verses, we have some... Some words, some important words of Jesus. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then in verse 17, come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. Don't you want to know more? Jesus, can you give us a little bit more explanation here? These are weighty statements, heavy statements. Statements that summarize... The message, the preaching and teaching of Jesus, not only here, but throughout his his earthly ministry. Firstly, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, Jesus is saying now, because of my arrival and presence and ministry among you, this is a history-altering moment. This is a significant moment based upon my presence and my preaching, Jesus is in essence saying. And indeed, the life of Jesus defines history. Just the life of Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, defines history. For history turns like a railroad switch on the coming and the living and the dying and the rising of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And savior of the world, the Kingdom of God has come near the Kingdom of God is a phrase that is found often in uh, the Gospels to refer to the rule and the reign of God that he is the one who is in control he is, the, he is the king, he is the one who is sovereign, who is supreme, who has all authority, and in one sense, the kingdom of God has always been present for he has always been uh, in control. the God that we worship the God whose word we read when we gather, is the eternal God, who is the Almighty One, who holds all things in His hands. But now, Jesus says in some way, that that kingdom has come near. That it has shown up. implying that the, the reign of God has shown up, embodied in this Jesus of Nazareth, taking on human flesh, Bridging the gap between God and humankind. The kingdom of God has come near. The life of Jesus defines history. Marking history, does it not? Between B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, Latin for in the year of our Lord. Certainly, in recent years, there's a move to adopt B.C.E., before Common Era, and C.E., Common Era, to avoid any religious connotation. Either way, church... Either way, Jesus Christ defines human history, separating history between two eras before the coming of Christ, the Messiah, and life since His his arrival. Jesus shows up on the scene in His first coming and begins his, His ministry. And as he preaches, as he teaches, as he heals, as he wanders throughout Galilee and ultimately out throughout Palestine, he doesn't force himself on the world's inhabitants. I think we get a glimpse here in this opening, opening phrase of verse 14 of, of Jesus' coming fate because of John's fate. After John was put in prison. I don't think, I don't think that's unintentional. In fact, everything we know in Scripture is intentional. It is the Word of God just as He led and inspired humans to write it. Just this John, this forerunner, this messenger of Jesus was put in prison. So Jesus will experience hardship and ultimately death as well. But even so, the gospel is good news Gospel means good news. And Jesus went into Galilee, verse 14, proclaiming this good news of God. It is good news from God and about God. It is news, it's more than advice. It is news from God to be received and to be believed. The gospel is news that changes your status forever. Friends, according to the Scriptures, the gospel, this good news and gospel, this word was, was in use in Mark's day prior to Jesus' preaching ministry to describe life-shaping news as opposed to just common, ordinary, daily news. And this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is news that changes your status Forever. There's an urgency about this message. Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is more than simply advice about how to live your life. In fact, every other major religion of the world can be reduced to advice about how we are to live if we are to adhere to that religion. Not so with Christianity. Christianity hinges on... News about a Savior, a God who has come to us to do for us what we could never do on our own, to rescue us from sin, the consequences of sin through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And because it rests upon what He has done, our adoption into the family of God, our citizenship in this kingdom is permanent, it is unchanging doesn't depend upon our, our efforts. I, I know that we have several in our church family uh, who are tennis players, a number of folks that like to play tennis. And if you play tennis as an adult and you play uh, competitively, then uh, you usually receive a, a tennis rating uh, or a tennis status that is based upon your level, it's based upon your skill set, your experience, your success on uh, the, I sort of say on and off the court. I don't think it's based off the court. Your success on the court or or lack thereof. And so some who play competitively make it their aim to move up uh, that system, to move up that ladder. If a rating like 2-5 or 3-0, three oh, three 4 oh. and At the end of the day, uh, your status ultimately depends on you. Your rating depends on on you. But just as you can move up the rating system, based upon how you play, you can also move back down the rating system based upon how you play. It is not a permanent status, ultimately hinging on how you do your efforts on the court. Not so with the gospel. Friends, not so with the gospel. The gospel does not depend upon your efforts or my efforts. Our position before God does not depend on our efforts, our attempts to do the right thing, to do to do what's best. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but it makes me feel good. Because I, I, I try to do the right thing. I try to obey God. I try to honor my word, but I mess up time and time again. And yet I am still a forgiven child of God because of what Jesus has done, because of what he has accomplished for me. News to be received a message to be believed, the gospel is news that changes your status forever if you respond with repentance and faith. If you respond with repentance and faith, the gospel requires an answer. Church, the gospel requires an answer. Jesus calls for an answer, does he not? He comes preaching. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near." Repent and believe the good news. A message to be received, a message to be believed, a message that requires a response from those who hear it. You know, just this past week, I received some some mail, maybe you did too, from uh, from Spectrum, formerly known as Charter uh, Communications, uh, offering me an exceptional deal. Uh, the, the, the spectrum, uh, triple play. You know what I'm talking about? No doubt some of you know what I'm talking about. TV and voice and Internet for 29 99 a month each uh, when bundled. Uh, free Internet modem, free HD channels, free DVR, unlimited calling in the U.S., Mexico, Canada, and Puerto Rico. And I've shopped around a little bit. I I know that this is a pretty good deal. This is a competitive deal. But just because the offer has been extended to me doesn't automatically make it mine, right? I've still got to call and request it. I've got to sign up for it. This requires an answer from me. Likewise, the gospel requires an answer. And in this case, this particular deal is temporary, right? Right? Some of you know this. After 12 months, yes, the deal is off and your bill automatically goes up. Not so with the gospel. In Jesus, we get a permanent status, forever. A forever status through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel requires an answer. What is your answer? Have you responded to The news of the gospel. After Jesus left the earth, his preaching ministry was extended, continued through his disciples, filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching at Pentecost and come to the end of his message. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, after he's just told his audience that they messed up. They missed it big time. They, they killed the Messiah. They killed Jesus. And verse 37 of Acts 2, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How can we make this right? Man, we missed it. We've realized it now. The Spirit has convicted us. How can we fix this? What should we do? And Peter responds, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit convicted the hearers of this message of their sin. And Peter calls them through the sermon to a response, just as Jesus calls his audience to a response. Response of turning to God. Turning away from sin. Turning toward God. Embracing Him. And then displaying their faith in Him through baptism. And friends, the gospel message is unchanging. The news has not changed. We are still in need of a Savior. And the right response to the message has not changed. Thus, turn to God. Friends, turn toward God. Turn to Him. This is repentance. Jesus said repent. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is a turning away. A change of mind, a change of direction, turning toward God. We are called to turn toward God and to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel, Jesus says. Believe. This is the word for faith, implying not only believing something to be true, not only head knowledge, but a trusting, called to Believe it to be true and to trust in the Messiah. Trust in the Messiah for salvation. No doubt this is a call for unbelievers to turn to Jesus in faith for forgiveness. But this is also a call for all believers as well. Continually, day by day, trusting in the Messiah. Spent a little time at mom and dad's after Christmas. Walked into my Old bedroom and began thinking. Memories flooded my mind as I looked over at my childhood desk, still standing there against the wall. Began thinking about memories of homework. No doubt a desk that's made for a, a, a child I can no longer comfortably sit under uh, now, and was reminded of the growth process of life. But throughout life, we're, we're called to learn and to grow, and for honest. A growth that ought to continue until the end of life. And likewise, church, many of us can point to a moment in our spiritual journey and say, yes, that's, that's when I think I trusted in Jesus for salvation. That's when I entered into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. But this is to be an ongoing process. For those who grow in Christ, repentance and faith, ongoing ingredients of walking with with Jesus, Are you growing? Are you growing in, in Christ? Mark records this general call that Jesus made to, to the people. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then he turns to a more specific call to some individuals in verses 16 through 20. And unlike the typical practice of his day where students chose their teacher students chose their rabbi perhaps like many college students do today if you have the choice you want to pick the class with perhaps the teacher that you think would be a best fit for you or that you might get the best grade or uh, what you hear uh, based on word on the street well, on that day mostly students mostly chose their teacher but not so with Jesus he chose his students A different kind of authority. This is a distinct figure issuing a specific call to Simon and Andrew and James and John. Has he called you? Has Jesus called you? Is Jesus calling you to follow after him? For like like with Jesus' first disciples, God summons us to follow Jesus and spread the news. Church, God summons us, He calls us, He invites us to to follow after this Jesus and to spread the news about, about Him. Three imperatives in this pericope, repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. Three components, I believe, that cannot be separated, part and parcel of turning to Jesus, part and parcel of conversion. It's not short conversion in our own lives or in the lives of others by failing to emphasize that we are called to follow Jesus. And those that know Jesus want to follow Him. Those that know the Master want to follow the Master. Jesus says, come, follow me. Verse 17, Come. Follow me, this word for follow, a word that can be translated, come on, or come here. I think there's an urgency and an excitement about following Jesus, or should be. But elsewhere, Jesus also certainly implies that as we consider the call, we ought to consider the cost. And so here Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples, but elsewhere in Mark, he broadens the invitation to include the crowd. He says in Mark eight thirty four. Then he called the crowd to him, Jesus, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. In other words, Jesus says, Here's my disciples. The invitation's open. Anybody else want to come follow me? You're welcome to it. But you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There's cost involved to following Christ. you be willing to, to follow Jesus even if it means risking family or friends or fortune. Though others no doubt thought these fishermen were foolish, they knew that they were called to follow Jesus. You've been called to follow Jesus. Don't you love that Jesus calls these men right in the middle of ordinary, everyday life? Verse, verse 18, at once, Simon and Andrew left their nets and followed Jesus. Verse 20, without delay, Jesus called James and John, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They were invited by Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They but their faith in Jesus, and they adjusted their lives accordingly. Likewise, church, if you want to follow Jesus, then you should. And you'll have to shift your priorities. Shift your priorities. In traditional cultures where identity is often rooted in family, when, when Jesus says, I want priority over your family, that's radical. That's that's drastic. That's a a big deal. More individualistic cultures like our own, that may not seem so threatening, but when when Jesus says, I want priority over your career, that's radical. That's drastic. Either way, Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me, but you must recognize that I am supreme, and I want priority and supreme position over all else in your life. And as we we live that way, as we acknowledge that He is Lord, as we follow after Him, we proclaim who He is with our lives, and He also claims us as His own. You see, from here on in Mark's Gospel, these four fishermen are no longer referred to as Galilean fishermen. They're referred to as Disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, students of the king, followers of the master, servants of the savior, children of God. And friends, when you turn to Jesus, you too get a new status, get a new label, you get a new identity. So embrace this new status. Shift your priorities as a follower of Jesus and then embrace your new status as, as one of his. Summarizing the gospel, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him Jesus who had no sin, who was sinless, to be sinless for us, to take our sin upon himself become a sin offering for us so that in him we could receive his righteousness. His good works, his obedience, his faithfulness, his right standing with God. Guilty before God based on our own efforts. Yet innocent before God through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, embrace your new status as a follower of Jesus. And finally... Join the mission. Join the mission. Shift your priorities, embrace your new status, and thirdly, join the mission. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fish. I will send you out to fish for people. I don't know about you, but I I like fishing, mainly because I like catching fish. In fact, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, in that unseasonably warm Saturday, I took the kids out, and I said, why not? Let's try this out. Let's go fishing. We didn't do much catching. However, we, we did a lot of mudding. I'm not talking about the kind of mudding that you do in a four-wheel drive truck. I'm talking about the kind of mudding you do with people, real, live people. Little boots, little pants, little people, lots of mud. In some of those things had to come off so we could go home. Didn't plan it that way. It's the way it ended up. Even so, it was worth it. When we fish, we strive to catch fish. We work to catch fish. When we fish for people, we don't try to catch people. We try to rescue people. That's what Jesus meant because the kingdom of God has come near. And only those who repent and believe the good news about the king will be part of that kingdom. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He said, God made him who had no sin. I already read that. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse, verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession You are all these things that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who you are precedes what you do. Because you're a mine, Jesus says. Preach the gospel. Chosen people. Got special possession. Holy nation. Ambassadors of Christ. Anglers for Jesus called to join the mission. And like my experience the other day, fishing for people is also often messy, difficult conversations, intentionally befriending those who don't know Jesus, willingness to be rejected and ridiculed for what we believe and say, but it's always worth it, even so it's worth it. Friends, Jesus calls us to repent, believe, and follow. Jesus calls us to repent, believe, and follow. So come. Let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word and the truths found in it. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is... Filled with patience and mercy and compassion. A God who desires to rescue us from our sin and the position our sin has put us in before you. Father, we thank you for the news of the gospel. The news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to trust Jesus. Help us to follow him and live in light of our relationship with you through Jesus. Hear our praise now. Lord, lead us as we respond. Help us to be faithful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.